We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by M-Prize Bank. Up next, the latest on the K-State Wildcats from the guys of 3Maw, John Kurtz, Derek Young, and Cole Manbeck, who will get you caught up on all things Wildcats from a collective perspective that can't be found anywhere else. The latest news, the top stories, and an insider perspective to keep you in the know. 3Maw is proudly presented by 360 Vodka. And now, let's begin the show. Hello and welcome into another episode of Three Ma. I am John Kurtz. We've got the whole crew here today. I am back with Derek Young from K-State Online. I am back with Cole Manbeck, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury. And we'll do a little grab bag here. Some basketball, some football. Obviously, people still very attentive to the portal and what's going on right now. Unfortunately, not much happening for the Wildcats. But they did have a visitor in town recently. We will discuss that. And uh, on the football front, uh, Chris Climate telling people at Catbackers events that he's going to retire at K-State in light of a new contract that he just picked up that gave him a cool mill and a half raise. And K-State got a nice football commitment as well. So it's not all bad here. We're going to cover anything and everything K-State football and basketball on the pod this week. And as always, that is brought to you by our friends at Holiday Distillery. Make sure you get your Ben Holiday bottled in bond bourbon. I'm saying it slower. I'm listening to the people that tell me I need to slow down when I say that. Ben Holiday bottled in bond bourbon. If you're into bourbon, make sure you check that out. If vodka's more your thing, they've got you covered there too. 360 Vodka. So whatever it is that you're celebrating, hanging out at the lake this summer, uh, getting ready for tailgate season, maybe getting an invite to Cole Manbeck's lake house, which I did not on Memorial Day, even though I saw him there. Uh, maybe that's where you can enjoy your beverages from Holiday Distillery. As well, they're great K-State folks who support the pod, so support those who support us. How was that Memorial Day, uh, Cole? It, it, I I seriously was drinking Ben Holiday bottled in Bond bourbon on Sunday evening at the lake while hanging out with some K-State folks, uh, the next-door neighbors uh, that invited me over that evening and enjoyed some Ben Holiday bottled in Bond bourbon over there. Uh, so I have it at the lake house, and uh, it was, man, it was an awesome weekend. Beautiful weather. I uh, got the boat out. Went out a few times, um, caught some fish, uh, had fires every night. Uh, I don't want to rub it in, but it uh, it was a really nice weekend, guys. But you, you'll get your time. You realize I'm not that far away anymore. Yeah, I, I know, I know. You guys will, you guys will get your opportunity. Look, Memorial Day weekend is actually usually a a washout because it's usually rained so much, the water's too cold to get in. But this this weekend, it was warm enough. Well, kind of warm enough. We got in one day and uh, 
you know, on occasion, I got to spend some time with the family at the lake. So that was, that was the Memorial Day weekend was family weekend, but uh, I'll get some time for all you guys and, and everybody else uh, at some point. Was it warm enough to kill those brain eating amoebas that are out in the, the lake water? I don't believe those are in the uh, Council Grove City Lake. Um, so I think we are in the clear there, but I never, uh, I never swallow the lake water. I try to avoid that. Okay. All right. Well, real men run a half marathon on Memorial Day getting cold that's that's what i've always said yeah well yeah good good for you on doing that i was probably recovering from a few drinks uh friday night as well when you were running a half marathon the next morning yep yep but uh went well hey shout out to the bill snyder uh highway half highway half i think is what they call it bill snyder highway half yeah you're running on the highway anyway all right uh before we get to the portal you know i thought of this i didn't even prep you guys for this uh on the outline for the, for the show here today, but do we want to start with like a quick thought on K-State baseball getting left out of the NCAA tournament, not getting into a regional RPI battle with uh, Oklahoma. K-State was two games better in the big 12 regular season. They also swept Oklahoma when they played in the regular season, they went further and made the semifinals of the big 12 tournament. But uh, that RPI, which we had been talking about for a while, at least those of us that uh, had, had followed K-State baseball, Wound up being the death knell. It uh, sounded like for K State, it was the second team out of the uh, the field. I'm not going to pretend like I followed them for the entire season because I certainly didn't. So I don't have a leg to stand on either. What I will say is what I typically hearken back to, and aside from the RPI, which has been admittedly a flawed metric according to nearly everyone, Kansas State deserved to be in over Oklahoma, and I won't disregard that at all. I will agree with it. Um, they were better than Oklahoma in every other metric and every other single way that you'd want to compare the two teams. But at the end of the day, I always harken back to this. You don't have a leg to stand on and shouldn't probably be pounding your chest that you were wronged if you also didn't take care of your own business. And I think that's the case of Kansas State. Had they taken care of the simple business, which would be beating teams like Air Force, St. Thomas, Lamar, um, yes, you were penalized for playing those teams, but you were also penalized for losing to them. Well, yeah, and and some of the some of the issue here is like and Pete Hughes has made a big, uh, he's he's certainly publicly spoken about this. Like regionally, it's easier to get better RPI teams if you're down in the south. It is, is but is. but but then if you have to schedule inferior teams, you, sh- you should beat them because if they beat them, they probably wouldn't be facing the same issue. Yeah, I, mean, I think you just got to win more more games against those quad three and quad four opponents if you're going to play the schedule that K-State played. They played the 150th ranked schedule in the non-con and just too many losses, uh, bad losses. D.Y. mentioned St. Thomas. They were in the 260s in the RPI. They lost to Omaha, uh, which was, I think, around 290th in the RPI. They lost to Lamar. They got swept by Wichita State, which was a team in the 100s in the RPI. So just too many of those midweek losses where if they just win a couple of those and get to 37 and 22, their RPI finished at 55. I'm going to guess those two, two or three of those really bad losses probably knock them seven or eight spots in the RPI. Um, you know, if you get up to 46, 47, that they probably get in at that point because they're close enough with Oklahoma to subjectively get in. You know, it's a shame that the committee doesn't have a better tool than the RPI to use. It almost feels like they just kind of just go down the order of the college baseball RPI when they select their teams and their host sites. They don't really put much else science to it, so that's unfortunate. But Pete Hughes and, and knows that that's the process that exists, and it's a flawed formula. Uh, you just have to win more of those games uh, to get in. So it's a tough situation. I, I feel bad for the players. I feel bad for the staff. 
you know, they, they certainly did enough to probably get in, but they left that doubt on the table. Um, they had opportunities to seal the deal and, and seal their fate in the NCAA tournament and, and just came up short. So hopefully they can retain a lot of those guys and, uh, that they have coming back. And it, it sounds like, I know they have, you know, my neighbors coming to K state, Nick English, uh, next year he's signed, going to be playing for the Wildcats. Can't wait to watch him play. And I, I think they have a good recruiting class coming in and hopefully they, they land some impact transfers and can build off this season moving forward and get to the tournament next year. What I will, what I will Pete, 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 he was recruit. So like, I, I feel like they'll probably be okay as far as that, but man, it's two times in three years now that they come really close. They were, they were a little bit closer this time than last, but they made a huge run at the end of the year, a couple of years ago and just barely got left out. So it's just, I mean, it's a bummer. And I know, I mean, I feel for Pete too, that it's like, of course it happens with Oklahoma. I mean, you know, Pete used to be at Oklahoma. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of love loss there between the two sides. So like, I, I just, I feel, I feel for everybody on K-State staff, the entire team. And I mean, the RPI is just it's so stupid. Like what, yeah. I, you know, I'm with you. I win more of those games. Absolutely. They had some chances. They also lost the series to Baylor, who was not very good at all this year in conference play. They they had opportunities. You always do. But I mean, it was, it was a pretty shitty way for that to all. Although I say if if you can't schedule better teams because of that regionality, metro, uh, you know, issue, then you got to beat the ones you play, and they didn't. At the same time, I don't totally jump all over Pete Hughes and Gene Taylor for their statements like others have, because I think there is there is something to the fact of sticking up for your players, and then if you're Gene Taylor, there is something to the fact for sticking up to your coaches. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, and I think the differentiator between Oklahoma and K-State is simply that they each had eight quad three and quad four losses. Oklahoma went 14 and eight against quad three and quad four. K-State went 21 and eight. But Oklahoma had the same number of quad one wins with 12, but they had five quad two wins. K-State had two. So you had 17 quad one and two wins for OU to 14 for K-State. Well, the other thing I would say is like, I mean, the – I saw like Aaron Fitt and Kendall Rogers, who were probably the two biggest national college baseball voices, agreeing with Pete Hughes and his statements that he made afterwards. So, I mean, if you're trying to make some kind of dent in the national, because there were eight host sites that were SEC schools, like it just everything's so slanted to the SEC and baseball, which some of that, again, is because they are it's kind of like college football, right? I mean, they get a lot of attention. They are better, but they also have some inherent advantages. And then they just built up so much cachet that they get the benefit of the doubt over other schools. And I mean, Sure, it's not lost in, on anybody that Oklahoma's going to the SEC. So, anyway, it it's it sucks. Feel for them. Really fun to watch them uh, throughout most of this year, and hopefully uh, things continue to move in the right direction. From one super fun thing to the next, how about that transfer portal, boys? Cole, you feeling good about the uh, basketball transfer portal these days? Maybe if I'm drinking some Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon, I feel a little bit better about it. Uh, but uh, not, not feeling overly great right now but i could say the same thing about where we sat last year and we were recording pods about the transfer portal and didn't certainly feel good about where things were at on may 31st of last year uh, now again the keontae johnson situation was extremely unique and rare last year you can't count on a unicorn to kind of fall in place like that this year in the portal but you gotta land somebody that's you know close to a desi sills type role that they can get a guy like that hopefully and then hopefully one other dude, uh, you know, I, if they can land another dude, a double figure type guy, a stud, and then a decent role player, I'll feel decent about where they're at. Um, but right now it's just the, the talent pool is dwindling. 
And we just have to wait and see what grad transfers enter the portal over the ensuing weeks, because uh, that's probably what K-State is going to have to mostly pick from is trying to grab up some of those other grad transfers that enter while other schools fill up their scholarships. Yeah, a bigger picture, we're kind of transitioning the conversation from what, at least to me, what's what are you going to get in the portal to, all right, do they have enough right now? I mean, we love the incoming recruiting class. It's the the best one that K-State has had in probably a decade, and it's not getting much run or talk about because that's that's the reality of the portal these days. Everybody is focused on that. You also have Naquan Tomlin and Tyler Perry, who could be a pretty lethal one-two punch, but you're going to have to really see a jump, I think, from Naquan Tomlin this year for that. But before we get into that actual discussion, here is what's happened in the portal uh, and why we're, we're making some cracks here and a little bit down in the dumps. I mean, I'll be honest, we're, we're a little bit, been a little, you know, we, we, we got to get out of this rut. We're a little stuck in a rut right now. We're talking about uh, the portal, but K-State did host. Let's start with the positive. They hosted Tennessee transfer, Olivier Kamwa, uh, West Virginia, Baylor, Michigan, all still in it. Baylor and Michigan getting visits after K-State. He went to West Virginia beforehand. I know a lot of people seem to feel like West Virginia's deal is you visit, you get offered a bunch of money, you can't take other visits, like commit or else. So I don't really know what's going on there. This is going to be a competitive one. Um, and this is a guy that's pretty talented and did some nice things. I believe he averaged 11 a game last year for Tennessee. So I don't know, D.Y., what do you think about K-State's chances there in the uh, Olivier Combo sweepstakes? You would take a lot of pressure off of everything, of course, just because he gives you a little bit more of a, a scoring punch that you've kind of lost a little bit from the two stars that left in Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, and even Desi Sills to an extent as well. But yeah, like you said, it, I wouldn't call it a crowded group. And I have some doubts whether or not West Virginia has staying power since they couldn't prevent him from taking further trips. That that seems to be the remo. If you look at every other recruitment, especially in the transfer portal that they won, they were able to negate like the additional visits they weren't able to in this one. So my instinct is to write them off. Maybe that's a fool's errand, but my instinct is to write them off. So then if that's the case, then you're you're counting a, a recruitment where you're going up against Baylor or Michigan. Like he just finished because there was he he visited Manhattan soon after the trip to West Virginia was like immediately after. And then he went to Baylor immediately after that. And his Michigan visit, I believe, begins tomorrow. So um yeah, you're going up against some of the one of some of the better programs, and and you can't really call it a slam dunk, especially since even when Kama entered the transfer portal, most felt like Michigan was going to be the favorite all along. Do we know what the tie is with Michigan? Do I just they've done a good job recruiting him, or is there any connections? I don't know the connection. No, I just feel like yeah, I don't know the connection, yeah. but obviously. The, those two were pretty, pretty well aligned. It may, it may have been just that Michigan jumped on him quickly um, as soon as the end of the transfer portal. I don't know, but obviously there's been strong links between the two sides. I mean, I certainly respect that he's trying to get through this quickly here and taking the visits all back to back with no breaks, uh, getting through the process, and hopefully Kansas State and the other schools will have an answer in the ensuing days on what his decision is. At the very least, K State did get a visit, which is only their third official visitor during the entire process of the transfer portal uh, so far. And, you know, look, he would be a big get. John, you mentioned it. He averaged almost 11 a game last year and five rebounds. And that's in Rick Barnes' system, which is more defensive-minded. And I think Kansas State, uh, in the right system, a system like K-State, can unlock his offensive potential 
and make him a more consistent scorer. Because if you look at some of his game logs that he had while he was at Tennessee, he showed major flashes this last year as a junior. You remember the Duke game in the NCAA tournament, a game that Tennessee won. Yeah, he scored 27 points and I think had eight rebounds in that game and went, what was he, 10 of 13 from the floor, three of four from three, 27 points, five rebounds in that one. You know, you could go a game against Arizona this year where he had a monster game. Against Texas, he went 12 of 15 from the floor with 27 points in that game and had eight rebounds as well. Uh, Arizona game earlier this year, he went 7 of 12 from the floor, had 16 points. So this is a guy that has shown major flashes to be able to really score the basketball and rebound at six foot nine, kind of a swing player. You can play the four. You can maybe even play a little bit of the three. And I think K-State is a, a team and the coaching staff could unlock him into a better offensive role where he could elevate his game into like a 15 to 16 point guy, guy and be more efficient than he already was. He was 51% last year. I think they could take him to another level. And uh, so it would be a big time get if K-State can land him. He would classify as a dude for this program. So hopefully they can close the deal and beat out the other schools in Baylor, Michigan, and West Virginia. I'd agree with all that. Here, here's two things. And, and I'll preface this with saying that, that if push comes to shove, like you put a gun to my head, I'm, I'm thinking that it's going to be Michigan. I really don't know one way or the other, but I'll give you two angles for optimism that are contrived to an extent. And I say contrived because you have to manufacture it a little bit by drawing connections between everything. I think Kansas state, you mentioned that they've only had three visitors throughout the screens for portal process. And I think that has frustrated some people. I think Kansas state did that for a reason. I think they were pissed off and pretty frustrated out some of the things that went on last year. I think they felt used and abused by some of the guys that they did bring in on visits that had no genuine interest in Kansas state. And then we're just being, they were just. You tell me they weren't a fan of the glow ball saga? Yeah, like the whole, that whole thing, even Sean Phillips to an extent, I imagine probably irked them a little bit as well. I think they felt like they were just a means to an end for some guys. And I think they refused because of their competitive nature to be that. So I think they're not going to just take anyone and let anyone visit Manhattan anymore because I think they felt like they fell into that trap so to speak, last year. So for those that are frustrated about the visits, I would take that into consideration. I don't think they want Kansas State to be used and abused and be belittled like that because they have a lot of pride in K-State. I think that's part of it. Secondly, I think Kamwa obviously was genuine about visiting Kansas State or they wouldn't have let that come through, right? If you take one and bring it to the other, especially since he made that a tough squeeze. Like he... Went straight from Kansas State to Waco, and he went straight from West Virginia to Kansas State. Mind you, West Virginia didn't have an airport, right? They fly in and out of Pittsburgh, so there's a little bit of drive time there. And he didn't get to go to fly straight to Manhattan because he had to go to Kansas City. They had to pick his butt up and drive him to Manhattan because the Manhattan airport is closed. And he knew that going in, and he still made that trip. That tells me that he's a little, at least moderately, maybe even greatly serious about his interest in Kansas State. Fair. Yeah, can I can I throw in a third? Maybe those credits won't transfer to uh, Michigan. Huh? You know? Well, he's a graduate transfer, and it's different because he just enters a graduate transfer program. I know, I'm just, yeah, that was. That, that, that was the problem. Michigan has that problem. Duke has that problem, but it's, but they have an easier time bringing in graduate transfers, unfortunately. But but I, I think it's a very good point, D.Y. This is a guy that strikes me very serious about basketball and his future and wants to find the right role and maybe isn't as NIL-driven 
as some of these dudes, just because like you mentioned, West Virginia tries to close things down with their NIL offers on that visit. And he still chose to take three other visits after the fact. So this may be a guy that's looking for that right role to really elevate, take the next step and seize the long-term future uh, path in the NBA and isn't driven. I mean, you know, he'll get an NIL deal wherever he goes, but maybe it's not the highest bidder in this situation. Well, that's kind of, I think, like what we're figuring out the game K-State's going to have to play, right? Pretty much is you're going to have to find guys like Tyler Perry who, you know, could go maximum bidder and get a ton of money, but don't seem to be as interested in that or are more interested in, some of the other things, um, because I think like K State's doing all right in the NIL game, but they're they're never going to be somebody that's able to throw around seven figure. And I mean, like, you know, I don't know. We don't have to get into all the details of things that we've heard, but the the market right now for transfers is uh, is pretty ridiculous, pretty pretty ridiculous. Okay, before we transition the conversation into Naquan Tomlin, what the ceiling is going to be for this year's roster? We'll assume that K State's not going to get Kamwa. I guess for the sake of that discussion, just a couple other quick updates. I mean, other guys that K State has at least had interest in or been linked with. Um, Ernest Ude is going to TCU, which uh, to me felt like it came out of nowhere today. We had not heard much on that front, although I think we talked last time on the pod that after K State was supposedly going to get a visit, it was reported that K State was going to get a visit. He kind of went silent on them. In case they was out of the picture, but going to TCU is, I mean, it's frustrating to me uh, to see that. Julian Phillips, uh, in case they made a run at, almost got a visit out of last year, um, was going to transfer from Tennessee. He's staying in the draft, though, so that's out. Not that I ever felt great about K-State's chances really there. Zion Pullen was another one from UC Riverside. K-State didn't make the cut into his. It was either a top four or top five that uh, he released today. Another name, maybe Yuri Collins uh, from St. Louis to watch out for, but um, D.Y., anything with those guys that you want to add about the the situations there? Aside from like a passing interest, like soon after he entered the portal, I don't think there was really anything connecting the two between Ernest Uday and Kansas State. I think that uh, mutual interest was probably overstated. Well, then, yeah, so what, it was Slater that reported it, and I mean, he's pretty reputable. I just wonder... Yeah, I'm not saying that that wasn't the case, but he visited Duke closed it off when he had to open it back up. I don't think K-State was ever involved again. So that, and then on the Yuri Collin front, obviously we're, we're recording this podcast like hours before the deadline, obviously to return to school. If you have already entered the NBA draft, I will say this. If he, ent- if he returns to college, I would anticipate him entering the transfer portal at that, at, at some point soon afterwards. I don't know when that would be, but if he returns to college, I imagine him being someone in the transfer portal that is available. And I would expect K-State to be heavily involved if that is the case. Is Yuri Collins a dude, Cole? Uh, I don't know if I... Uh, that, that's a tough one. Um, you, you listen to some people, they, they don't think so. They don't think he has athleticism. But, you know, he led the country in assists. Averaged 10, 10 assists per game and 11 points per game. You average a double-double. On an average. Yeah, it, it was an average team at St. Louis, and look, they the Atlantic 10 wasn't a great conference this year. They had one NCAA tournament team in VCU, but they played seven NCAA tournament teams in the non-con, St. Louis did. Uh, yeah, I did the numbers on it, so in 10 games against NCAA tournament teams, Yuri Collins averaged 14 points per game, nearly eight assists per game, shot 42% from the floor. Um, he did average four and a half turnovers per game, which uh, that's a little high. You'd like the turnover numbers to drop. Maybe that's him forcing the issue too much. 
it's not even a little high. His turnover rate is a problem. Yeah, the, yeah, the tar- rate that it's like over forty percent. So his turnover yeah. rate is abnormally high. And just put it frank, he's not a great shooter, but he does everything else pretty well. And you you would wonder about if it came to pass what what he and Perry are as a defensive tandem in the backcourt. I, I, yeah, I, I think he's a he's a good fit if. Uh, if they can land another guy that can be another scorer, because he's obviously a good facilitator. You don't lead the country in assists per game with Marquise being second in the country um, without doing some things well with your passing ability. He's got good vision. Uh, but, you know, yeah, the turnover numbers too high. He's got to get that down for sure. Um, but still, I, I think at this point in the, in the game, you would take that. And, you know, I mentioned the 10 NCAA tournament games teams he played against or games against NCAA tournament teams. Eight of those games were top 40 Ken Palm defenses. So, you know, he was facing good defenses when he put up some numbers. And it maybe he has to do a lot because he's on an average team. So we'll see. At, at this point, and that that is far from worst case scenario. Yeah, and, and coached by Travis Ford, John. I mean. Is he still at St. Louis? Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Okay. So he's going to get a big upgrade in coaching. Even even and if they weren't able to add it, put him next to Perry and Tomlin. I know we, and this will probably be after the break, but. And we we vary on her, but I mean Naquan Tomlin's a p- potential next season. Ah, well, thank you for that, Dy. That is a great little tease as we head into uh, our first break. Look, if K State is not going to land another quote unquote dude to go along with uh, Tyler Perry in the portal, uh, how high is the ceiling of this team? I think it it largely hinges on Naquan Tomlin. We'll discuss that next. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. All right, so this would qualify as news for sure. I think the reason it's not being talked about nearly as much is because everybody assumed from the beginning that Naquan Tomlin was going to be coming back, but he did officially pull his name out of the draft. It is coming back to K-State, but that, you know, we, we all felt like that was going to be the case. Although, I don't know, maybe we want to start this conversation, D.Y. What are you able to share about the the feedback that he got from the NBA? Because I, I think, honestly... I, I would have. I was just pleasantly surprised, I guess, to to hear some of the whispers about what he heard from the NBA when he when he put his name in. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fair because he, I don't think he was even invited to the NBA draft combine. So you you just try to draw conclusions from that. But I don't know if you guys started to 
how much you were looking at mock drafts in the last two weeks, but Naquan Tomlin started to pop up on those even a lot more. Um, the last five I looked at, he was on four of them, and on three of those four, he was higher than Keontae Johnson. So his stock was not just rising behind the scenes, but it was starting to surface as a regular thing too. So this is a big deal for Kansas State getting him back. Um, I've heard that some of the feedback revolved around him, be- that he was pretty much strong to elite in 75 to 80% of the areas, especially because of the workouts. He just thoroughly impressed a lot of teams in his individual workouts where they put him together with pairs and with teams as well and do some scrimmage action. I think he was very impressive. I think they want to see him become a better shooter. And that's what it sounds like. And if that comes to pass, and I don't think that's a hard ask because if you honestly, if you look at the last slate of games, I think he – started to become a little bit more consistent, a little bit more reliable. Even a good source of mine says, you know, when he's rested and, and not tired, which means he probably needs to improve his conditioning level just a bit too, he's one of the better shooters on the team. So with Naquan Tomlin, if he puts all that together, you're looking at a, a guy that can re- – I say sky's the limit all the time with Naquan Tomlin, but that's really the case. Um, some of the NBA feedback was that he had a chance to go in the end of the first round this year if he truly entered. Now maybe that was, you know, putting lipstick, a little too much lipstick on it and taking best case scenario, but like that that was on the table. Like that late first, early to mid second is where most teams saw him. And because he is so young in his basketball development, his age really isn't held against him, right? Because he is older. He's, he was in junior college quite a while. He's now spent a year at Kansas State. He's going to have a second year at Kansas State. That's not really held against him because he's basically, when NBA teams approach his evaluation, they consider him an 18, 19, 20-year-old because that's what he is in actual basketball development. Like He's not tapped out like someone typically his age would be just because he's still learning and grasping everything. And as long as he continues to be a sponge and – continues that shot i mean there there's some folks within the industry that think the lottery is not out of the question after another season at kansas state yeah well i mean just to to remind folks the the reason for the difference in how he's being viewed is because again dude didn't play organized basketball in in high school so you know i mean he is he's he's incredibly young in that development and it's a it's a solid point that you make about the ceiling that is there and i, I mean you can't deny the ceiling like i mean when you watch him play like the ceiling is like a diet Kevin Durant. I mean, he's got that sort of a skill set if he can if he can improve the shot. But I, to me, Cole, it's just I he is still so young, and I love his personality. He's a really fun dude. He was awesome when he came on uh, the pod with us before the Oklahoma game. Before you declared that college football runs through Manhattan, Kansas, um, all that like he's great. But I just I don't know. I, I I need to see it. I need to see him take that step. I need to see him. He just. It's probably unfair. Do you like maybe I just look at him and I'm like, he's kind of a fun, goofy guy. So maybe I'm just like questioning, all right, is he going to turn on like the serious switch enough here to really buckle down and take that? And it's probably not fair of me to wonder as much about it as I do, but I do. It's it's one of those things I kind of need to see it before I'm going to totally buy in. Like, can he be the guy? Because I think, like, as much as I love Tyler Perry, like, would, wouldn't we view it as like Naquan, if this team is going to have as high a ceiling as we wanted to next year, it's got to be that like Naquan is the dude. Yeah, maybe I'm going to needle in here right before Cole, just because I'll, I'll try to refute. 
or not necessarily refute, but give two more argument points. One is that it doesn't take a lot for him to become the guy. If you take into account what his usage was, his usage was very little because he plays on a team with Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. Yeah. Like there, there's not a whole lot of usage to go around. And when you add in the fact that he was in foul trouble a lot because of his inexperience, then you would, then you can see there, there's a whole another probably five to seven, maybe 10 levels that he can get to when he eradicates that. And I think with time and, and obviously another year that that can be eradicated, especially since I think the goal is for him to not to play the five as much. You put him at the five, you're asking for foul trouble, right? So I think that that's part of it. And like I said, if you consider his numbers, given comparable to that usage, it's pretty damn impressive still, right? His numbers are deceptively very good. Dude, like dude, He had 11 and 6 last yeah. year with hardly any usage. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. Like I, I'm sorry, Cole, we're railroading you here, but yeah. I... I mean, when I went back and looked at his numbers, I was like, damn, I mean, I, I think it's because there were just moments. It was always the foul trouble that was so frustrating, and you'd have these moments where you It was the issues due to inexperience, and to be honest, in the NCAA tournament, he was really good, too. Yeah. Yeah, in the NCAA tournament, he averaged almost 13 points per game, made 22 of 37 shots from the floor, which is 59%. Yeah, you, know, you remember the Montana State game in the second half, he really keyed and sparked that game. And then down the stretch run, I think he was perfect from the floor, almost perfect. Uh, he also blocked eight shots in the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, I, I thought he was tremendous. And defensively, you know, his ability to switch and guard, what really impresses me is his ability to switch and guard anybody, one through five. So, you know, his endurance the ability to bang in the post against a five, like when against FAU, for example, which game I hate, but you know, he's guarding blood at times the golden, the center for FAU. And then he's guarding their point guard at various times too, on the switches. And he's, he's able to keep up. He's able to move. He's able to use his length. Uh, he's a really impressive defensive player as well as a, just a really skilled ball handler. You don't see a lot of guys, his size able to handle the ball with his types of quickness, athleticism, if he can become a, a 35 to 36% three-point shooter, he's no question a first-round pick. He's probably a lottery pick at that point, like you mentioned, D.Y. He shot 28% from three this year. But, John, you and I, after the FAU game at the team hotel, had a conversation with somebody you would know, I'm not going to say his name, who said that Naquan shoots the ball a lot better in practice than what was seen in the games this year. He's a really good shooter, a knockdown shooter in practice, and they were a little disappointed how he shot it in games. Some of that's probably nerves, sometimes forcing shots. As he settles down, gets more repetition, uh, comfort in the system, I, I think he'll be a guy that can probably step up that three-point shot because the thing I look at when I think about shooters, Naquan shot a pretty good chunk of free throws this year, and he was 74% from the free throw line. And it's a pretty it's a pretty stroke. I mean, he's got good arch on the ball, a nice release. I think a 74% free throw shooter, he'll probably take another jump this next year. That translates to me to a guy that can shoot the basketball a little bit. And just based off what we're hearing, I do think he'll he'll improve his three-point shot. He needs to develop more of a pull-up game too. You know, just the ability to, to drive and pull up and hit a floater or an eight, 10-footer. Just because with Naquan, it was either he shot a three or he's always looking to put the ball on the floor and get all the way to the basket or get a lob dunk. Threes are dunks. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, that's, that's, that's what I would I would add to that that to the conversation. Like, there probably needs to be a little more to the offensive game than threes and dunks. I, I would agree, but that's what Kansas State does, and it's the smart thing to do. That's 
That's yeah. the new era of basketball. Those are the two highest percentage shots. You take a mid-range shot, it's usually stupid as hell. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not advocating for Naquan to be shooting 25, 30% of his shots on 10 footers. It doesn't need to be buried. No, I I agree, but you guys should go look at Desi Sills shot shot selection last year. I don't think he took a membrane shot in the history of basketball. (laughs) That's what you're supposed to do. That's what, that's what, yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm thinking DY more along the lines that he can just, hit that shot on occasion, show it as part of his game, it makes him even harder to defend, you know, because teams are sagging off on him, some at the three-point line, and then they know he's either he's he's going to drive to the rail. That's totally true because that in-between game is important, but that in-between game is not necessarily to shoot it. That in-between game is to know when to drive to the basket and finish, when to hit that three, but the in-between game necessarily isn't to shoot it. It's to find someone else. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Maybe it's him just driving, but not putting his head down all the way to the rim, but looking to make that pass as he draws in the second defender or that help. Because if he can't, if, if he's a 28% three-point shooter, I'd rather him just zero in on that than necessarily creating some kind of pull-up game. I don't think that's very, I don't think that's percentage-wise a good thing. Here's the bottom line to me, guys. If Naquan can make the jump and be a first-team All-Big 12 player this year, and Tyler Perry can be a, a second-team All-Big 12 type player at the guard position, then I, I think you do feel pretty good about where this team could go. You just need to get a, a little bit more help to support those guys. But my my argument all along is I understand everyone's angst and disappointment to an extent as well. Obviously, that there was there was bigger dreams and aspirations when it came to the transfer portal. A lot of that probably actually even centered on on Max Aspas, who they just barely missed out on. I get that. Oh, love that. Name. do not utter that name on this podcast in front of me, D.Y. Uh, but at the end of the day, God's honest truth, and I'm serious, I think people are underselling. I don't know if they're underselling Tyler Perry because I think everyone knows what he is. He's a shot maker, and to be honest, he's probably a bigger, bigger shot maker than they had from anyone last year. So I think that part's probably being undersold. Like that dude gets buckets more than anyone even on the team last year. Like he's a better three-point shooter than Marquise Noel. Like that's a thing. At the end of the day, I think we're underselling Naquan Thompson. I really do. I, I hope you're right, man. And and I, I see the potential. I do see it there. And I should also point out, like we saw the jump that Marquise Noel made with a year of this coaching staff. I mean, he nobody would have nobody would have said that he was going to be an All-American, I think, last year, even with your your highest hope. So the staff should earn some credit and cachet for the job that they did in developing him last year. So all fair points, and we sat here. Damn good coaches. Yeah, I mean, that's what we we sat here last year and said a lot of things that. That's why I'm not I'm not I'm just not able to panic because I just blind faith, blind optimism, whatever you want to call it. I counted them out several times during last offseason. I counted them out. A couple times during last season, especially during that Big Twelve rut that they got on, and they always find a way. I just, I just can't bring myself to count them out anymore. Can't. Well, I mean, listen, I've sat here and said I tell Cole all the time. We were talking about what Tang's going to be paid, and I was like, look, I'm throughout a salary that would be like top five in the country, and I was like, I think he's a top five coach in the country. I mean, I believe in him that much. I do. Um, so, yes, that should have me more. It's, it, it's, it's all about levels, DY, right? Like, do I have any doubt that they're going to be a tournament team and compete in the top half of the big 12? Like, no, obviously I have zero. Prisoner, what do they call it? I think it was, this came from first take. So like, I, I feel like I'm self-incriminating myself, but what do they call it prisoner of the moment a little bit? I think, I think we're a little bit in that department prisoner of the moment. 
Well, and they're just they're they're victims of their own success here. I mean, they got within a possession of the final freaking four, and that's the expectation now. And Tang, you know, it doesn't shy away from that, and has told us that 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 needs to be the expectation. Sites right. on a national, so it's it's a national championship standard here because that's what Tang has set. And so when we're talking about that level, that's where the disappointment comes in for people. And I think just gen- like if you want to go more big picture too, it's like, look, we know the portal money is crazy. But like it's dis- it is a little long term. Like the outlook feels a little more bleak for that. If it's like, hey, coming off of an elite eight, a run where you had the most talked about player in the tournament, where you turn into a media darling, where you literally took a little baby song and put it in the freaking Billboard charts because of your your dance that went viral. Like coming off of all of that, if if you still at that point aren't able to break through because of the crazy crazy money that's out there, that's what's just a little disheartening. Okay. Okay, two things there. Um, one, I will say, does it matter if you're a little bit weaker one through two? If you're like triple better, I don't know if that sounds weird. Triple better three for through thirteen on the roster. That's a good thing to to maybe discuss at some point because I think three through thirteen is going to be immeasurably better this year. I don't think last year they were forced to redshirt guys. Or not forced, but they were at a point where they had guys on their roster that couldn't help them. I don't know that they're going to run into that problem this year. I don't. I don't. Th- and I would honestly say they probably don't have that problem. So, yeah, maybe you don't have number one, number two, or maybe they're close. I don't know. Depends on what they finish. But if you're better, that much better, three through thirteen or four through thirteen, what's the trade off there, and how's that work? Because I think that needs to be a consideration in terms of the NIL money. Yeah, the the portal prices are insane. I, I I've heard the the horror stories as well as it pertains to to you know what the going rate and the values are and and how much it costs to compete on that level. But what if Kansas State is landing David Castillo? What if they are contending with Patrick Ngongba? What if they got Michaela Bridge, Day Day Ames, and RJ Jones because they're allocating their resources to those capacities? Yeah. Well, hey, but fair fair point. And and we just like I said, we gloss over the traditional recruiting classes because of how much attention the, the portal takes. And they and RJ Jones might help this year. Yeah. Right. And and we're discounting the possibility that yes, one of those top 100 recruits is is a stud right off the bat, which you know very very well could happen too. Um, yeah. Although. I don't know. Ngangba's got a Duke offer now, right? Like, uh, are we? I and, I and I told people this was happening a couple of months ago. I said this guy. Everyone was like, "We want Castillo. We want Castillo." I was like, Patrick Ngangba might be just as good, maybe better. They're like, "Yeah, but one's ranked thirty, one's ranked one hundred and twenty. Well, it's what was it at the time? February, March. Like the rankings are going to change. Things are going to change. Two months later, because I said he he was listening. He was being pursued or, or you know poked around at that time i think i mentioned yukon ucla michigan indiana some other team since then yukon did offer yeah. duke has offered now as well indiana offered i think syracuse notre dame providence we haven't seen anything i don't think yet from ucla michigan kentucky's poking around ku is poking around so don't be surprised that they become involved at the end of the day k state will never be out of the race for patrick and gong so, even with Duke involved, they will never be out of it. 
Yeah, I would right. think. Jareen Dowling has known him since he's about four or five years old. Yeah. Gonna, have to, gonna have to swipe another another twenty four kid with a Kansas offer. Gonna have to do that twice. We're gonna have to. It could happen. This is a different kind of case. I bet. I mean, Jareen Dowling. You know, he's they got the Virgin. He's got the you know, the Virgin Islands connection with Patrick Ngonga's mother. Um, obviously, maybe Georgetown gets into it again since his mother still coaches basketball, women's basketball assistant in Georgetown too. We'll see. But that. I, like, I get it. Duke's offer, UConn's offer. It's like, oh, go, here we go again. Don't count them out. Don't count well, we them know Georgetown's got some freaking money. Yeah. Go ahead, Cole. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think UConn probably poses the biggest threat, bigger threat than Duke, in my mind, just because he's from the Northeast, and UConn won the national championship. Sanogo was dominant in the NCAA tournament as a big man. Um, so I would I would assume that UConn would be a more attractive offer. I think Duke's always going to be a bigger threat just because of what the weight that they can throw around. But Other. yeah, at the end of the day, how 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 present is Duke going to be there? I know they offered, like we know they offered, but the twenty five class is Cooper Flag, the number number one, number two player in the country, assumed to go to Duke. I think the Boozer twins are assumed to go to Duke as well. One of them. There just seems to be some overlap there in the front court with their targets as well. Oh, Cooper Flag seemed pretty excited about that K State offer, DY, and I know uh, Jerome and team follows him on uh, on IG. So uh, I'm not going to concede that battle for the number one player in the 25 class. And I haven't I haven't heard much from the Instagram beat here lately. Cole. It's because there's not much to report on, John. Unfortunately, come back. What, what did Cooper Flag do? Like fifty and twenty? Yeah, yeah. He hung like fifty something, and Jerome and is in the background with his baseball K State baseball jersey on, like smiling, like like just man, like I'm enjoying watching this dude play. Is what it looked like. My guy, my guy. I think Jareem snuck back in on Twitter. Right? Is he back back on social media? Yeah, he, yeah. He shared some uh, IG IG stories. It's like his third pause since he's been at K State. He does these, and it's oh, good. No, I know, but I, 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 I reading that story that D. Scott Fritchin wrote about him. Obviously, to note, that's an amazing story, and yeah. I'm glad that Jury opened up and and kind of revealed that to everyone because it's something that we could all take away from it. But now I'm like tempted. It's like at some point I don't. I've never done it, but like just taking a reprieve from social media, I feel like my life would be like whole again. Well, I mean, that's a whole different podcast. I If I could throw my phone in a river, it, or, nah, I'd just drop it out my window. Oh, on yeah. Sometimes I want to throw your phone into a river. What the hell does that mean? Negative things? Is that what, you, is that what the reference is? No, no, when I hang out with you and you're like... Oh. <laughs> my face is deep in your phone, yeah. Well, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I assumed you meant D.Y. when John and I are, you know taking more of a pessimistic approach and you're trying to lift us up oh, yeah. and uh because well, well, i i know you guys take more of a fanatical side to those things i'm talking about when i hang out with john and i can't get his attention excuse me fanatic excuse me sir i am a very measured ask mizzou fans i just had this discussion with mizzou fans today whether or not i'm uh too fanatical you know because i don't like their boy uh good old, good old eli all right uh speaking of that hey transition to football we'll take a break we'll come back chris Kleiman says He's going to retire at K-State's. Uh, we'll break that down in K-State's newest football committee next. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. 
All right, well, I was out at the uh, Capacker event in Kansas City last week, which was a great event. Shout out to the Kansas City Capackers. I did not hear Chris Kleiman said something to this end, but not quite as emphatically as he did, I believe, in Wichita. It was Wichita or Topeka. Maybe it was Topeka, actually, where he said he was retiring K-State. It was with Glenn Kinley. Yeah, that's right. It was Glenn Kinley. Okay, yeah, shout out to Glenn. He was the one that... uh, tweeted that from from the Topeka Catbacker event where he said he's going to retire at K-State. This obviously comes in light of a new contract that's going to pay him an average of $5.5 million a year, top 25 money in college football, uh, well-deserved, a $1.5 million raise, well-deserved, coming off of a Big 12 championship last year. What I heard him say was basically like, hey, I mean, I'm going to be here for the foreseeable future now with all of this. And I mean, he clearly is very confident and secure in, in his future. Also comes after overtures from Nebraska. Uh, last year after they got turned down by Matt Rule the first time when they were trying to regroup there. So a lot to digest, but I mean, I think you have to just, I don't, I don't know that you could be in a position to feel much better about the long-term future, both like short-term and long-term future of K-State football right now with climate locked up, the way they're recruiting, uh, the way the program currently is. I mean, the freaking quarterback room where they're getting Minnesota quarterbacks that they wanted very badly to just walk on now at this point. Um, it's pretty wild. Like, football is in a great, great spot. Yeah, they, they have a lot of resources to play with right now, too. Um, the recruiting is kind of hitting that, like, wheelhouse. You mentioned it off air, or you might mention it on this podcast already. I don't. But, like, the, the commitment of Kyle Rakers was, like, ho-hum. And yeah. the fact that he beat out, like, Oklahoma State, Missouri, Iowa State, like, those type of programs for him, which, like, three years ago, you'd be streaking down, you know, Kimball if that, that happened, right? I mean, so 2018, like, about, like think about, like, 2018, like, the end, the last legs of Snyder 2.0, what we would have done with a Kyle Rakers commit. They lost they lost an offensive line commit that flipped from K-State to Nevada that they didn't push out. So, they got so like... That happened. So that's where we're kind of drawing from. Uh, The 5.5 million price. Some were like expecting more. I'm impressed that they hit that. And I think that they probably structured it in the right way too, because it's for some reason he wants to call it quit sooner and then you get out of it at a cheaper price. Right. So all of it makes a lot of sense to me at the end of the day, you, you got a guy that, you maybe at one point you would have been paranoid if the Iowa job comes open. And obviously that is a job that's going to come open, whether it be tomorrow, next year, two years, whether that's going to be a job that comes open, that'll help that Gene Taylor's not going to be the one that takes the AD job there. That's going to be Beth Getz, obviously that was already in the department, but like if you're a Kansas state fan, you probably feel reasonably assured that Chris Lyman's going to be your head coach of your football team. And he just was the first coach other than Bill Snyder to win a big 12 title at Kansas state. He's going to be your football coach for at least five more years, probably more, but at least five more years, I would say. And after that, there'll be a coaching search probably. But I think if all goes to plan, like we assume it will. And obviously if I assume it makes an ass out of us three, that Colin Klein's probably your next head coach after that. Like, a lot of it's just going right in hand-in-hand. Hand. I don't know. You, I mean, dude, he just got offered the Notre Dame OC job this last offseason. You think they're going to keep him around for, like, six or seven years? No, no. if he gets a head coaching job before, then that's fine. I don't think he's going to get a P5 head coaching job. Either way, I, I 
as it stands now, I would be shocked if he's not the next Kansas State head coach. But wherever he is at that time. Yeah, Colin's built differently than uh, than Vinci, John, and uh, Bradley uh, up in uh, the state of Illinois. So uh, I think Colin, even if he's had another job, would uh, venture back to Kansas State and come back and take that job uh, regardless of the position that he's in. So I do think as long as he continues to excel as an offensive coordinator or wherever he goes next after that, if it is somewhere other than Kansas State for a couple of years, as long as he excels, I think he would be the front runner for the job, and and I do expect that he would take that. I mean, look, you got Colin Klein, you know, and Connor Riley. I think I saw Connor Riley was talking about like Colin's goal is to score fifty plus per game yeah. this year. I mean, I I can't wait to watch where he takes this offense if he can do that. Uh, another, there's another layer to that offense coming that I don't think we're all exactly expecting. I, I don't know if it's another two pushes on the accelerator what it is but but i think that's coming and 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 additionally i think connor riley makes is probably an underrated element of that offense as well but yeah going back to cole like wherever colin klein is and i don't think he's an offensive coordinator anywhere else if if he was going to be an offensive coordinator anywhere else it would have it would have happened this year yeah, he said that. That was my my assumption. There was he'd get a head coaching offer. If he gets a head coaching, and he might, and he he will deserve it. Although he's only done this for one year, so maybe we're putting the cart before the horse. But as it in, in a year as an OC at Northern Iowa, right? So I mean, he's got two years of uh, whatever, whatever that may be. I would say maybe we're putting the cart before the horse. But at the end of the day, like Colin Klein would be at like minus what one. 80 minus 190 to be the head coach at Kansas State after Chris Kleiman right now. And I don't want to caveat too much to to Colin, guys, but one thing I do want to hit on real quick on that point is I I think maybe one overlooked factor is Colin Klein, like you guys just said, now has a year as the offensive coordinator. And the offense started to take off a few games into the season. There was some kind of, I, I don't know, getting acclimated to Colin Klein's system, Adrian Martinez, a new quarterback. Colin Klein now has a quarterback that he's been coaching for four years, returning with a lot of starting experience, uh, with some talented pieces and an entire offensive line returning, and now a second year to work with his system and fidget with it even more. I would expect the offense to take potentially another jump. Now you lose Deuce. I don't want to, you know, undermine what that can be the impact of that, but I, I think Colin Klein, like you said, DY is going to have some wrinkles up his sleeve. You know, on the Chris Kleiman front, I think the contract was structured the way it was, you know, so that when the new TV contract kicks in in a couple of years, that's where more of that money will start to kick in on the contract, just because there has been some negative contractual money effects to the financials, uh, given Oklahoma and Texas leaving. And then the the legacy eight schools in the Big 12 gave up some of their TV money to go to the new four schools coming in. So K-State's going to be uh, down a little bit for this next year or so financially, but they'll recoup it down the road when OU and Texas pay their exit fees, leave, and the new TV contract kicks in. They'll eventually be plus on the money side. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Chris Skyman worked with K-State and Gene Taylor on that contract specifically to kind of find a middle ground that worked for both parties. I think it was very well done. It took some time, but uh, it was orchestrated very well. Uh, and you mentioned Kyle Rakers. I mean, 10 Power 5 offers, guys. And you remember like on signing day last year, I, I went through like the last 10 plus classes of guys with five, six power five offers. Kyle Rakers might have had the most power five offers in like some of those classes in 2016, 17, 18. Like he might've been the most offered 
recruit from power five schools. So it's not insignificant. Like we're sitting here kind of going, oh, hum, they got a guy, you know, from the state of Iowa, it's 10 power five offers, Missouri, Nebraska, et cetera, Oklahoma state. Those are schools that they, to your point, used to not beat out much, if at all, on the recruiting trail the last several years. And they're doing it on the norm now. Uh, and, and DY, you mentioned Grant Bricks, you and Drew over at on three grant, one of the, he's a, he's almost a top 100 recruit in the country on, and he's on the offensive line. That's got an official visit scheduled. What June 16th. Yep. So I mean, it, it's going to be Notre Dame, Nebraska, Oklahoma, or Kansas state. And that's for an Iowa native. Who's not even considering any of those Iowa schools, which is interesting to me and something that John will will probably take solace in, or maybe he, he was going to do this already. It's just what Chris Kleiman has done on the recruiting trail in the state of Iowa in the last like 18 months is pretty impressive. Like Rex Van Wy got him from Iowa state, the junior college linebacker that'll probably play this season. Um, we just talked about um, the Kyle Rakers where Grant Bricks is potential in June. We'll see how that unfolds. And Asa Newsom was one of the prizes in the last cycle. Asa is a stud, and wasn't uh, was Will Lee at Iowa Western? Dy not yeah, same yeah no, it's not a, yeah not a not a high school kid in Iowa, but was playing in their backyard in Iowa Western. So yeah, yeah. no, Chris Kleiman is all of a sudden, and I think it's and I I said this I think when they're in a spot for more than a few years, and they continue to pound pound pound, all of a sudden now you have something to sell too. It's like it wasn't saying we're going to do this. It's like we did this now too. So it's, it's interesting to me, the, the amount of movement that Chris Kleiman has made in his home state of Iowa. Well, and playoff expansion, I feel like might help them a little bit too, where they could sell like, Hey man, like now you, you do what we did last year. Like you'll be in the playoffs. You'll, you'll be in the college football playoff too. Uh, which, which right now, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a pretty tough sell uh, at the moment, I guess this year, maybe with Texas, Oklahoma still. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, and, and DY, you didn't even we haven't even ever touched on on this show, I believe, the running back commit from Blue Valley, who it was really between K State and Iowa, right? And chose Oklahoma Kansas State. State, State there too. Yeah. Okay, why am I blanking on his name? I, I feel terrible. Yeah, okay, it's gonna be. It just looks like a heck of a kid, and we have we didn't talk about him because the basketball run was going on at that time. There was just so much good news, we didn't have a chance. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's no, that's nice. And Gus Hawkins, who was their first commit, the offensive tackle from Mill Valley High, just was offered by Ole Miss. Um, he was asked to entertain conversations by other schools, and he just said no. So he would probably have much more than just Ole Miss as well. Look, I'm trying to think. Is there, and I know they only have six commits, and that's probably going to grow exponentially in June like it always does. I'm not sure they have a commit in the class that is – doesn't have multiple power five offers. Yeah. It's a pretty good group. Yeah. Bone breaker maybe, but I don't know. It's great, man. Cole, I was just to close. I was going to try and help you out here. I The kids say on the reg, not on the norm. You say on the reg. Mm-hmm. So apologies. I'll try to try to get up to speed on my lingo there. Okay. I don't know. I feel like I'm probably like five years behind with that term anyway. Uh, whatever. We're not the ones out there recruiting. Taylor Bratt's the one that keeps up on all that. Uh, we don't, we don't have to worry about that. Shout out to uh, shout out to my guy Taylor. Okay, anything else? Any closing thoughts that anybody has here as we wrap it up? I got nothing. I got nothing. Just crazy faith, crazy faith, John, in the basketball staff that they're going to land a dude or two in the next couple of weeks. I, I, 
to be honest, and and I know this is annoying, and it sounds like blind faith, blind optimism, and some of us don't have that, and I get it, or don't have the capacity to do that, and I get it. But, like, they've never steered you wrong yet. Just let it happen. Oh, that's fair. It's DY, I don't know that it's that I don't have the capacity for it. It's just that for so long, that muscle has been well-trained to be pessimistic. And, uh, you know, the last... Last year and a half, last year has uh, has done a lot to help that, but you know you still revert back to your old patterns a little bit. We're growing. We're all we're all growing here. All right, just growing in therapy on the Three Ma podcast, and hopefully all of you are as well. Now, our therapy sessions, ironically, are sponsored by alcohol. So uh, we have to thank Holiday Distillery, Three Sixty Vodka, Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Uh, we appreciate their help as always with uh, your your weekly therapy that does not cost a copay we appreciate them make sure you go out and support them because they support us uh we appreciate the work of nick springer behind the scenes our producer here today for Derek young and cole manbeck i'm john kurtz thanks for listening to three thank you for listening to kc sports network we appreciate your support don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard you can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.